2: Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host Alex Kalanorkas and today we're discussing the second season of Drive to Survive, the Formula One documentary series that is returning to Netflix later this month. With me today is Motorsport Network President James Allen, our very own three times BAFTA award winning Formula One commentator. Also here is motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble and Autosport's F1 reporter Luke Smith. All three of you were at the premiere of the new season in London earlier this month. How was the event? Was it a big, uh, big party, big bash?
3: Well, there was an awful lot of swearing in it, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so they Gun- showed Gunther uh, Steiner is mentioned. There. Yeah, exactly. They showed two episodes, and um, and there's one that focuses on particularly on Gunther Steiner. And, uh, and there is an awful lot of swearing which became his trademark I think in, from season one there's also a lovely moment where um, he talks about handling pressure and his wife gives a kind of roll of the eyes that uh, is very human and I think that at the end of the day is what makes this series very special Formula
4: One is all about pressure this season everything is different
2: coming into a new team new people around me you always have doubts.
0: I really, seriously don't have a clue how to act.
4: I need to adapt. The brakes, the throttle, the feeling on the pedal. If they're good enough, they swim. They survive. If they're not good enough...
2: If he doesn't want to come
4: back, he can f*** off both of them. Pressure just
2: builds and builds and builds.
4: It's each other idiots.
3: Netflix has taken Formula One to places that The Formula One itself and the racing never really got to before and it really carried over very very well into to people who aren't Formula One fans and it's because it's very human it takes the helmet off the sport and all the signs are that they've really learned and listened to the audiences from the first series. I get the sense that some of the characters are kind of playing up their their personalities a bit, and that's certainly true of Gunter Steiner, Christian Horner, for example. But yeah, it looks like another cracking series.
1: I think what's what's good is is it the ability to it kind of reflects on last season with a level of detail and behind the scenes that you don't appreciate at the time. I remember once saying to an F1 driver that you know the best way to do a season review would be to do it in ten years' time when you know all the personalities and politics and stuff all settled a bot, and you can look back back at it um, with some detachment and honestly. and I honesty and I think that's what's happened this time there's certain elements of it that given a refocus for example Kristen Horner talks about the determination to be in the top three in the championship by the midpoint of the season to keep hold of Max Verstappen which during last year they were trying to keep under wraps and not make up too much pressure But so this extra insight I think is especially fascinating
4: We want the drivers to be heroes Here's your favourite driver Who is ever winning for us Driver that will say, it. I'm going for it.
0: Yes,
4: I think it's also been cool to see the growth of the I think popularity and interest in the Netflix series as well like you've seen fans really get on board with it but also the F1 paddock as a whole so if we look at the launch event for I think the same series last year it was much smaller much more understated whereas this time around there were hundreds and hundreds of people there everyone very keen to see what was going on loads of fans online as well wanting to know what's happening what's going to come up on this season so it's uh, I think really showing how Netflix has as you said taken F1 to places it didn't go to before.
3: I think that was very clever of them actually they scheduled the premiere the night before an f1 strategy meeting so you had jean todd there you had chase there you had lots of team people there and, and there were several drivers as well i mean science was there you had uh, lando there was george russell so it just added a real uh, excitement to the whole thing
2: and was it the full red carpet treatment were they all there
1: i think one of the you call it kind of a, a small time red carpet scenario it wasn't you know thousands of people queued outside in a, a long parade but a nice little function in a private cinema in a, a hotel in central london what was good about it also was it was the first proper social occasion of the new year really so first time a lot of people have seen each other for a few months so it's quite a you know, really really great buzz and everyone was really excited to see what they have come up with this series
0: it's all about being calm <laughs> composed
2: Just keep stop me oh, i'm
3: sorry, I'm sorry
0: man.
4: but once the guys go out anything can happen
2: the first episode is like a, a sort of a season opener from the season opener of 2019. Is that right? So you start off in Melbourne and introduces the cast and the characters that way. Is that, is that fair?
3: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's a cut generic in the same way as the outro from season one was a kind of generic lit build up to the, to the final race in, in Abu Dhabi. I think the, the big thing obviously for me is that this year features Mercedes and Ferrari, which season one didn't do. Now, Going into that last year, a lot of people were saying, what a shame, you know, you won't get behind the scenes with Ferrari and all that amazing stuff going on between Vettel and Leclerc and obviously uh, getting more insight into Lewis Hamilton and how he operates. But actually, it was a blessing because what it meant was in season one, that kind of that cast of characters that's in the shade normally in Formula One got to be centre stage with a spotlight on them. And you got to know who Gunter Steiner was and Jean Haas and Roman Grosjean and all that kind of thing. Danny Ricardo really made the most of the opportunity where perhaps it would have been a bit smothered if Mercedes and Ferrari had been involved last year. And of course, then it gives you something new for season two, because now you really do get a sense that you're going to go behind the scenes with, with Mercedes and with Ferrari. And of course, Mercedes chose, would you believe, the German Grand Prix as their weekend to entertain Netflix. It was a total casino, <laughs> as they call it in, in, in Italy, to the extent that I understand Mercedes actually invited the producers back a few times later in the year so that they could actually get some better content into the show because they really didn't want that to be how they were shown and reflected in, in the series.
2: I see. So they are going to be more interspersed as opposed to just, this is a dedicate, dedicated episode on Mercedes and Ferrari and things like that.
4: Bit of a mix. So Hockenheim, as you say, that was the weekend that um, Netflix had with Mercedes. I think that will be a focus. And uh, throughout the first couple of episodes, you can tell like shots of Toto Wolf, and Lewis Hamilton and in the pit lane they are taken from Hockenheim but sort of shown as though it's the Melbourne weekend so uh, I think that shows how clever Netflix are with their uh, production and mixing and how they cut things up it is very very clever there is I think from day one uh, the moment the series starts a, a show that this is Ferrari and Mercedes are now on board the opening shot of the whole season is Mattia Bonotto sitting down to talk to the cameras so that is a real signal that yes things have changed but that opening episode, the focus is still on Haas, Daniel Ricciardo, Red Bull. It's all the pretenders from last year who were so involved and opened their doors to Netflix from day one. Um, I think it's really nice to see that just because now you've got, I think, the two big dogs on board, that the focus isn't all on them, that you still do have this, uh, from the first season, this interest in the some of the subplots and other stories on the grid.
1: And, and there's also, they're not afraid to show these people as they really are. It's some, nice During the introduction episode, uh, I think both Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff can't remember the official team name. So they're being interviewed, and in I drive for uh, what's the team called? Uh, AMG Petronas Mercedes F1, uh, which is kept in. So there's, you know, there's that rawness that you know makes these people seem real. They're not corporate
2: robots with the perfectly rolled-out team name. And that's good to see because there's a lot of of these sort of uh, sporting documentary series. You know, we see like. Um uh, amazon have got nfl teams and football teams and things like that and it's if it comes a bit too sanitized i think one can you can get not sick of it but it's a bit like ah okay we're, this is still an extension of the pr product so it's good to see that that netflix have got a sort of not a warts and all but that sort of honest approach
3: and i it. think that's very now as well i mean that sort of the that generation particularly that they're looking to reach through this that younger generation is millennials whatever the, the authenticity is really really important i mean it's always been important but it's particularly important for that generation they can smell something that's phony or or PR or a sellout really, really easily. Um, what I found amusing as well is it's very clear, that, for example, that Christian Horne has obviously been sitting around his dinner table at home with Jerry and some of her friends and they've gone on about, they've suddenly realised what her, her husband does, it's really cool you know, maybe they weren't aware before, you can just feel it, that he's obviously had some feedback loop from, from that side of his life going, hey, you look really cool in this series and so he's actually playing up to it a bit now it's almost like he's like, yeah, and if we don't make it, it'll be the end of the world, or you know who knows how long Red Bull will continue if we don't succeed, it's almost like Mr. VoiceOver, you know, <laughs> thank you Christian
2: is uh, like living up to this, he's almost become like a Hollywood VoiceOver man, it's it's really funny. Previously it would be a case of, oh we've said something bad, we've got to minimise that and maybe not even repeat it again, so that's a different approach that we're taking now or the, the, the sport is taking. I think
1: what happened last year was, I think the, the team saw the positives that came from being honest and open and you know how brutal sometimes the sport is behind the scenes, that you know Steiner's swearing last year and a lot of that raw stuff, which a team could have said, "Oh, you're not broadcasting that. We don't want any of that out." Actually, cast the team in a good light and made them realise what it's really like. And that's gone to a new level this year. I mean, the Steiner episode where he's, you know, reading the riot act to Grosjean and Magnussen after the British Grand Prix. You know, they're shouting at each other. Um, he says, "I'm going to sack the pair of you." Magnussen um, slams and smashes Steiner's door and storms off. And there's a confrontation in the paddock. I mean, it's it's incredible. None of this. When we knew there was a row afterwards, but we didn't realise at the time it hit this level. So I think it will cast an extra light. And I think the teams know that ultimately you can finally cross it out. That's one thing. But actually showing this honesty, showing what, how brutal this sport is, showing controversy is really good for them and for Formula One.
4: And what I love is that um, Gunther from day one has said he's still not watched the first season like he still doesn't know how he's come across or anything so it is still unfiltered and unaudited and it is him just being himself and I think we really get to see that come through season two and uh, again it does cast a light on a team that otherwise would probably pass very much under the radar but a lot of people who maybe aren't diehard fans of F1 but have watched the series they will say oh Haas yep that's a team with the cool team principal who always swears all the time and that it's that kind of I guess humanity that the sport sometimes loses but the series again has helped us I think regain that a lot and um, I think Gunter Stein is probably the the strongest example of that but they also need to be a little bit careful because you can also see a backlash you know
3: because actually when you watch that and you, you know like we know the management philosophy, for example, of Toto Wolff and the detail he goes down to in the way that he has, you know, the management structure and the messaging and all the intent and all the things. that, And you, you look at Gunter and you think, well, does he actually know how to lead this team or does this actually reflect not, not brilliantly on him? Do you know what I mean? And you could actually look at it through that prism and just say, hmm, maybe this has actually gone a bit too far. The other thing they need to be very careful of, of course, is that relative to the mainstream broadcasters, uh, they don't pay an awful lot of money to be able to do this Netflix so yes it's great that they're reaching new audiences but the level of access that they get isn't offered to the broadcasters who are paying in some cases 10 times a year more than Netflix or more and so they've got to be careful because if you're some of the big big broadcasters and I don't need to name names you know who I'm talking about they see that and they're going to go hmm nice access how come you know, we're get, we're paying this many times multiple of of Netflix, and we're not getting it. So that you know, it could kind of open a bit of a Pandora's box, I think. But listen, overwhelmingly positive. It's got to be good for the sport because it, it takes it to
2: to the new audiences. Well, as Daniel Ricardo said, it's it's put Formula One on the map in the US, is in his words. So you know, I'm guessing Liberty Liberty will be particularly pleased to see to see things like that coming out.
1: I think there were various comments from promoters last year, especially Austin and Mexico. Saying that ticket sales have been there's no a change in the trend of the ticket sales that they put down to the the Netflix effects. so I think it's just, it's drawn in a an audience that wouldn't normally sit there and watch a race or wouldn't follow it on the internet or wouldn't watch it on YouTube. It's kind of crossed over a little bit to draw people in and you get people hooked on characters, get people knowing who these people are, then that's where the interest comes to. Oh, actually they're racing this weekend. I might go and have a look and see what it's all about.
4: And I think that's also. It's also been a masterstroke to go with Netflix out of all the partners they could have chosen. And I've seen criticisms saying, why didn't F1 put it on F1 TV in their own channels? Or why didn't they work with someone like Amazon, who are uh, understood to have offered more money than Netflix did? But Netflix, ultimately, people subscribe to that because they like films. They want to watch documentaries. They purely watch it to watch these shows. Amazon, you'll probably get it for quick delivery and the TV is kind of thing on the side. And F1's own channels, you are only going to appeal to Formula One fans. Whereas I think going with Netflix, this has opened them up to such a huge audience who are really, I think, as you say, like changing the way that um, the sports demographic is really built up.
3: I think also, yeah, I mean, the discoverability of content on Netflix is better than it is on Amazon. It would have sat nicely alongside the Grand Tour. You could see how that dynamic might have worked on, on Amazon. But but with Netflix, the discoverability is better and the, the recommendation engines and stuff are so strong the way they work and the, and the way it draws you in with that very short lead time into the next episode. You know, you end up realizing it's two o'clock in the morning. You just watch five of them on the bounce and, you know, you've got an early start the next day. It's just, it's, it's fantastic the way they go about it. I mean, Box to Box, who've done the production on it, a top operators. James Gay-Reese obviously was the producer, one of the producers on Senna. He wasn't involved creatively on Senna, but he sort of put a lot of the deals together. He's been involved a bit more creatively on this. Um, and obviously, Nat Gruy and the team at Netflix, I mean, on, the, on the unscripted uh, original side, they really, really know what they're doing and they've given it the best possible chance of success. And uh, yeah, I think it's been, it's, been, it's been fantastic for the sport and for Netflix.
2: Mm. And is the format the same for the second season? So we've got mainly talking heads interspersed with some action shots some sort of more commentary that maybe wasn't live at the time, relayed on at the time to sort of get that sort of cinematic experience I think uh, that the general
1: format's for. the same but I think they've, they've worked out what worked last year what, what were the elements that were successful um, and they've just kind of stepped them up a, a little bit so the the um, one-on-one interviews are a bit more raw um, the Steiner, they've obviously spent ages and ages trying to focus on every single moment where there's potential conflict or swearing, I mean you go to the factory he's giving Grosjean abuse for potentially trashing the car um obviously the Silverstone bust up which results in a, a new swear word that I hadn't heard before but we can't mention it on here unfortunately so you'll have to wait to to watch that um and I think we weren't showing the Mercedes episode but I've spoken to people at the team who've seen it and say it's pretty harsh uh for them to watch and a, a painful reminder of a tough weekend for them so I think it's playing a a bit more on kind of the the drama, um, the successful elements of season one, um, just showing us what's what's really going on behind the scenes and off the
3: track. I got the impression from watching the two episodes we saw at the premiere that um, there was uh, a bit less racing in it, if you want. And I went back, knowing we were doing this podcast today, I went back and watched some episodes from season one. And my feeling is that the, whereas there was quite a lot of track action, which you've kind of already seen if you follow the sport, there's less of it. There's even more personality and even more sort of uh, candid moments and off and behind the scenes moments, which I think is is what fans want. So actually, that probably pleases more as well the... The, the motorsport fans because they know about the racing what they want to see is more of the, the stuff that uh, that uh, Luke and Johnny were just referring to you know, oh wow I didn't know that or we heard that might have happened and here's the confirmation of it and I could only think can you imagine you remember when Alonso threw his helmet through the wall in Shanghai in 2007 when things were getting really bad between him and Ron Dennis and, uh, and Lewis yeah, Hamilton he rips the door, rips the door and, and he, the <laughs> he threw his helmet through a wall in the uh, in the t- I'd love to have if only
2: Netflix had been filming
3: back then that would be
2: really something one could imagine Ron Dennis perhaps uh, being one of, the, one of the team bosses that will object to the warts and all approach. and um, But it's interesting to, to have a think about the sort of philosophy behind the filmmaking in the series. So for example, I watched I watched basically all of it while I was on holiday last year um, in between Formula, a couple of Formula E races. And there was the one episode, the Red Bull-Renault focus one with Daniel Ricciardo, it ends with him joining Renault. And it's sort of presented in a way that like he sort of, it was like, okay, here's what's going wrong with Red Bull, there's this alternative option at Renault, but he sort of ends with him having to think about, oh, what am I going to do? Best for my future," sort of thing, which didn't quite tally with what I remember happening that previous summer when we were publishing features on Autosport Plus about how we arrived at the conclusion, and we now know it was a megabucks offer from Renault and things like that. And it was all—is it kind of a microcosm for F1 in a way? You've got the the entertainment for the masses versus that detailed focus for the hardcore fans.
4: Yeah I think that's probably the the best way to go about it I mean they've got to ultimately uh, they've got to tailor to the the biggest audience they're going to get and ultimately for this series it's probably more uh, casual fans and the diehard fans so they can have a bit of uh, creative license I mean we saw in the, the first episode of the upcoming season, um, it hypes up a, a last lap battle between Verstappen and Vettel uh, in Australia but that actually happened 24 laps before the end of the race so it's that kind of little thing that they do because they want to they want to add to the story they want to make it a little bit juicier and, and things like that um, I think it's going to be it is going to be interesting to see what other stories through the season, I'm thinking um, the Gasly album switch for example at Red Bull how they play that out and ultimately we we know fully how that actually happens, so how it actually tallies up with uh, with real life. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think they do have to. They can have a bit of creative license because they can look at I think the, the bigger picture and know that they've got a bigger audience that they've got to uh, try and appeal to.
1: I think they've got the, the benefit of being able to pull interviews that they do say in September October time, pull it back into the Melbourne Grand Prix episode, for example, and then make it seem as though that interview has taken place. Then to b- big up the dramatic effect. Which, for example, that's how they got the comments about, you know, if we don't finish top three, we lose Verstappen, which, you know, Australia wasn't discussed at all. We knew was happening by the middle of the season when they fulfilled the the criteria. So they do play around with things, but I think that's just standard, standard television, standard filmmaking. Uh, You're trying to make it as exciting and dramatic as you possibly can. I think if it was chronological and it came out in... The following February, you go, why, why have they not mentioned this? Because it was fairly obvious that's what happened
3: six months later. And you've also got to remember the title. I mean, they decided to call it The Drive to Survive. So the whole thing is just loaded with jeopardy, right? You've got to believe that at every step in Formula One, there's jeopardy. You know, this could go wrong. This could be the, you know, and and you always have to remember that. I think when you watch the series, we're not here, they're not here to paint a rosy picture or make it look like the best sport in the world. They're they're here to say that these people are animals and they're doing anything. What's that great quote of Ron Dennis? Competitive animals know no limits he said that about Alonso when things were going wrong i will refer to that again um, but it, it was one of the best quotes I've ever
2: heard about Formula 1 because it's true how much do we know about Lewis Hamilton being in it because wasn't that that weekend where they recorded everything or supposed to record everything with Mercedes in Germany he was ill that weekend, right? So, do we know if he's going to be in it much, or maybe a bit less than we'd hoped?
4: I think he's going to be in it as expected. There was a rumor going around, I think, a couple of months ago, saying that um, his people had said, "Oh, we're not going to put him in it because he was ill." And that was Sadie's sort of guess out card. But no, Mercedes have watched the episode. They know what's coming. They know it's going to be brutal, as, as Johnny said. And uh, yeah, I think the added Lewis factor that that's a huge pull. I think just for the, the casual fans, because you ask the man on the street to name a Formula One driver, it will probably be Lewis Hamilton. So that is a that's a very big thing. I think to to throw into the series.
3: Yeah, I think what actually happened as well is that um, he, again, he'll have his feedback loops. He he's, he spends a lot of time with people outside of the racing industry, right? Music, entertainment and stuff. A lot of them would have said, hey man, you know, that Netflix thing's really, you know, really good, you know? And he realised he wasn't in season one. So when he had the opportunity to be in season two, he wanted to make the most of it. And obviously Germany wasn't, wasn't the ideal weekend. Uh, and so what I understand uh, he he did was uh, he got together with them over over in the States uh, later in the year to make sure that he, he had an opportunity to really get across all the things he wanted to get across. So, you know, he gave it a really, really good following win to make sure it was it was what he wanted it to be.
2: Mm. And going back to what we talked about, how the first episode sort of introduces all the characters. But again, there's a focus on the ones we saw in season one. So not so much Mercedes and Ferrari. Any any suggestion that could be because it was the start of the year or you know things were like okay they're 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 not going to let anything take them away from their focus on delivering performance so they'll come into it at a later date would that be taken into consideration or not at all
1: I think one of the I think the other thing the transformations happen in Formula One is where two years ago you know having these Netflix crews around and cameras and microphones appearing everywhere was everyone was going what's going on here it's a bit of a distraction and it's going to you know, engineers are obsessed with performance, and teams don't want to get distracted. I think by last year, people had got used to it, and it was kind of understood where it was there. But obviously, you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to be in a world championship decider with you know camera crews sat everywhere and all over you and following everything. So I think it has it is structured in a little bit of a way. But I think the teams have now understood a bit more that having the camera crews there isn't such a a massive distraction, isn't going to cost them uh, results. Although maybe Mercedes will think. Twice after Germany.
2: Do you guys notice the the Netflix crew around when you've been? We are in the paddock last season. For example, like I know when Formula E were filming their "And We Go Green" documentary. Whenever I was in the paddock, I was like, "Well, that's that team because they've got those massive cameras that they're carrying about and stuff like that." Was it obvious from from the races last year what was going on?
4: Yeah, very much so. And I think uh, even even through season one as well, you just sort of see these big audio booms all of a sudden appearing over media sessions, and you'd be doing an interview and it just appear out of nowhere. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's definitely more of a sort of a I think a buzz around the team when they know that they Uh, they're being followed by netflix for that weekend and i think sort of even we in the media it'll get to a race weekend and we'll be able to tell very quickly who's the who the focus is on that weekend um so when we saw uh yeah the netflix crews in hockenheim following mercedes and obviously at the beginning of the weekend it was they were doing all their sort of 50s retro stuff and then they had a good qualifying and it all looked very rosy and then obviously everything changed around on sunday
3: I think the other thing to remember is I think probably the inspiration was for this was um, those scenes in Senna of the driver's briefing you know with Balestre that's where you really got the impression of what it was like and Senna gets up and walks out and that kind of thing that was just so fortunate that that happened to be in the F1 archive because a producer called Vac Verakaitis, who was around in the early 90s working for Formula 1 TV he, he just wanted to shoot the driver's briefings no one objected so he happened to be there and happened to get all that stuff the producers of Senna realised this was gold dust hadn't been seen before and bang it gives you one of your most memorable cinematic moments so that's kind of the inspiration for it the interesting thing is every frame of video that's shot in a grand prix circuit belongs to formula one can't i can't believe that that won't be the case with all the netflix stuff that's actually shot there which means for formula one's archive going forward for the future for other filmmakers who want to make a film about Hamilton or something in the future. They'll have all this amazing stuff to to delve down into. So Formula One benefits as well in ways that
2: it'll only realise in the future. Do we know if if there's a sort of exclusivity thing with Netflix? Could, say, Mercedes or Renault or whatever, could they do what McLaren did with Amazon a couple of years ago and have their own series? Because there wasn't anything like this at the time, you know, there was that opportunity. But
3: the amount of actual at-track... Material that was in that Amazon series was very very limited. So the key to it always is the is the the FOM agreement, the Formula One agreement you get, and then and then obviously the, beyond that it's the access, it's the access side of things. But uh, yeah, it's a a good question, actually. it be interesting to to find out what the rights issue is around that.
4: I believe um, Lewis Hamilton, I think he said last year when he was asked about Netflix, that he'd been approached to do his own series a couple of years ago and he wasn't so sure about it. So it'd be quite interesting to see if he's in this season, what the feedback is and whether that sort of makes him think, oh, hang on a minute, I could do this all about me and whether that'd be something of interest. Mm
2: now we touched on this again a little bit going through our chat but we understand there's going to be 10 episodes again like there were last season so we know episode 1 is introducing the season at some point there's a Haas episode it might not necessarily be episode 2 what other things that happen in 2019 would we like to see covered I mean we've already talked about the German Grand Prix but off the top of my head the Ferrari collision at Interlagos hopefully that's got to be its own episode or at least form part of a big one
1: yeah I think there's, I think there's a Ferraris I think I think it was Austin times I remember being in a being in the post-race press conference was the weekend of the the engine rails all hotting up, and I think Verstappen had said some naughty words and caused some a bit of a kerfuffle. So I think Ferrari, uh, um that's the Ferrari episode. I understand there's a Hulkenberg episode, looking at um, his future, and especially I think post Hockenheim when he had the crash that, when he looks back, things was the kind of turning point in you know him not getting his future sorted. There, um, I think Gasly's got a, some focus on him and his roller coaster season. So I think they've done I mean they've cuz they film so much you know they can start focusing on what what the main storylines are as we get closer and closer to them having to t- decide how they divvy it all up.
2: I guess that's quite good for Hulkenberg because he's not got another racing program lined up at the moment for 2020 so keeping him in the spotlight keeps him in the conversation for t- potentially coming back
3: and he was at the premiere the other night which was really interesting to see um it was, good, it was good to see him there keeping his keeping his spirits up absolutely what I think will be interesting is looking back again uh last that first season when they dealt with the Ocon story for example the way they framed it uh especially looking back on it was a bit slanted in Ocon's favour it wasn't particularly pro Perez and it certainly wasn't terribly friendly towards uh, Lance Stroll because his dad came in obviously and bought the team and it made it look like oh, you know pushed Ocon out etc so it wasn't super well balanced I didn't think that one I should be very interested to see because they, they followed Leclerc last year and he it, he came across very sympathetically, and when he was at Sauber, be very interesting to see, uh, you know, for um, for how they cover the 19 season, and the and the way that he and Vettel end up sort of sparking off each other, whether they have a. Kind of pro Leclerc approach, or whether they're able to be,
2: you know, properly balanced. That'll be very interesting. Mm, and there were so many different points of that season where you could make a case for a villain or a hero for both of those drivers. Think about Monza and Singapore and Russia. But also, it'd be interesting to see how different he is because he he spoke about, you know, he had that rant in Singapore, didn't he, over the radio? And then he he was like, oh, I can't really do that again. So he sort of tried to do it a little bit better in Russia. So I wonder how how that will come across when he's chatting to the cameras. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Autosport Podcast, and we'll be back soon. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Music.
0: world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold
4: hearts, brilliant minds.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.